Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guests, the cast of Snow White Live. Hi, this is Mary Jo Salerno, and I played Snow White. Uh, this is Heidi Co-Frazier, and I played Greta and a raccoon and an exotic uh, incense dancer. And I'm Charles Edward Hall, and I played the hag, the wicked witch. It's great to have you guys on the call. I'm glad we could put this small little reunion together. It's been many, many years. Yes, it has. It has. It has. But before we talk a lot about Snow White, I thought it would be great to hear from each of you about your beginnings in the entertainment industry. What drew you to perform on the stage? So why don't we start with Mary Jo? Oh, my gosh. So long ago. I grew up in a small town outside of Chicago. And I always knew I wanted to live in New York. Um, I'm the middle of three children. And I think that maybe it started as a way to actually be seen and have a voice. Because when there are that many children, um, it's hard to, you know, get the attention. And um, golly, you know, high school plays. And then I majored in music in college and um, went to Chicago after I graduated and got Snow White. I was cast in Snow White in Chicago. So I was always drawn to the stage. There was just something about, um, gosh, singing and, and being up there and having people look at you, which was very different than, um, I guess, television or film work. Well, I'm originally from Honolulu, Hawaii, and uh, also the middle of three children. <laughs> so kind of the ignored one. But <laughs> Uh, ended up in New York City going to high school. And uh, at the end of my high school uh, years, I was taking ballet, you know, as usual, always dancing, dancing, dancing. And there was an audition to join the Radio City Ballet Company for uh, one set of shows, maybe three months. So I went to the audition and they hired me. And then I was there for 10 years. Um, I guess I've always wanted to be an actor. And um, growing up in Kentucky, uh, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities. So I think that I wanted to pursue that to find kind of an extraordinary life on stage or in front of a camera or performing. And I, I think it's very interesting with the background of the story of Snow White Live is that Radio City Music Hall was not doing very well, especially with getting audiences in the doors and in the seats. What was that process like to bring a show to a theater and really revitalize the theater itself to something that is something that has been known very, very well? It's it's an historic monument, basically. Well, I, I'll jump in here if you don't mind. I it is a historical monument, and it does seat over 6,000 people. 
And we did four shows a day, seven days a week uh, of live performances. And as the years went on, literally, you could shoot deer out in the audience. Nobody was there. And it was heartbreaking. So uh, we were losing Radio City. And some of us went and spoke to the you know, town council in, in New York. And there's a book coming out about that by Rosie Novellino, who was one of the dancers with us. Uh, but when we heard that Disney may be wanting to step in and, you know, pump some energy and new life and new concepts in, it was just wonderful. I'm happy to say that Radio City Music Hall is alive and well because of Snow White and the Grateful Dead and Bob <laughs> Yanni. Uh, people that the change of times and it's interesting having just celebrated my 30th year and seeing and I, I get asked all the time how has the show changed and the, everything has changed and it's interesting to see that from the stage and from the audience and technology has changed and people have used that and it's changed them. Um, and that was the time when Bob Yanni came in and changed the whole concept of what Radio City was and continues to be today. A lot of Disney fans will know Bob Yanni as being the producer and creator of the Main Street Electrical Parade and of many other wonderful Disney attractions and shows. What is one of the main things that sticks out to you when you hear Bob's name? You know, what what was that experience like just working with him? You know, he was, yeah, he was um, just, he was always very, whenever I met him, he was very calm. And in retrospect, in reading about what he did and learning more about him, you know, uh, over the years, it, it was amazing how he held it all together and got everything done. He was really it, a, yeah. an amazing, amazing man. He, he was. Um, and my uh, actions with him and, and, and meeting him and reading for him, he seemed very powerful and very calm and quiet. He made decisions quickly and with a lot of forethought, and he moved right on. You know, he wasn't overwhelmed by what he was doing. And it was it just turned out fabulous. Yeah. I remember for one of my last auditions when I was reading with you, Charles, um, and Frank Wagner had pulled me aside and said, listen, when you read this scene and you take the bite of the apple, don't be afraid to fall. Because, of course, Snow White's just been poisoned. So I'm like, oh, OK. So I go in there and Charles and I are reading this scene and I take the bite of the apple and I go, oh, and I fell to the ground and I, and I kind of opened my eyes and I think, Charles, my memory of this is like you were just looking at me like, what? And so then I got myself up, dusted myself off and everyone was very gracious, said, OK, thank you. And they had sent baskets of fruit to the uh, young women who were there to audition. I think there were maybe four or five or six of us left. I don't even know. And I said in my best Midwestern politeness, thank you so much for the fruit basket. And Bob, Bob, this was a day of being looked at. And Bob looked at me and, and said, oh, and, and someone, oh, what was her name? Was it Patricia? His assistant whispered in his ear, and it must have been, oh, you sent the girls fruit baskets. And he got a big <laughs> smile on his face and said, well, you're quite welcome. So, of course, he knew how to work the work and delegate, uh, which enabled him, I'm sure, to do so much. Well, in his 
his footprint, his spirit is on the Christmas spectacular to this day. There's not a day that goes by or a show that goes by that I don't think about Bob Yanni in that theater and what he's, how he saved it. It was the first time ever that Radio City was used properly with every, well, most of the wonderful aspects of it. The lighting yeah. from the front and the moving of the stage. They used everything but the rain curtain. I would, I don't know why they didn't use that. He <laughs> just orchestra going up and the, down. Up and down and, and, and the go, dashing through the forest. My sister was terrified because of the lightning strike that opened the mountain. That it came oh. from the back of the audience and struck and boomed. You could feel it reverberating. Yeah, he, they he still used, talk about that. That was incredible, and the audience always screamed. It, um, it's not just even Radio City. The whole Disney franchise, Bruce Sherman, who played the Huntsman, and his wife, Lauren, um, we're still very friendly with them. And he always brings it up that S- Snow White kind of started, it was almost before its time, because now on Broadway, or you've had Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, all these other Disney kind of spectaculars Mm -hmm. that run month after month, year after year. Whereas with Snow White, we only got not that much time out of it for it being such a, uh, for being so, maybe because it was before its time. It was Disney's first Broadway show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was, it was. And it has that the house itself, the little men's house, the concepts, uh, when that house opened up, the audience almost came to their feet. They couldn't believe that that was in there. And it, it just, all the songs, you could sing the songs. We all did. Yeah. Um, there, we have lost a few of the cast members from the stage production. Um, yeah. Would you like to talk about some stories about about some of them? Well, Richard was, he was a real force as well. He was very, 6'4", I think. And um he was my first friend in New York, really, because I arrived early and he he lived there um, since I was hired out of Chicago. And um, I remember he, I, we were just walking around and I think he was the first gay person that I knew and he was very um, open about it, yet he was so manly on, on stage and so princely and he was so generous with the fans he would go out. I was always a little embarrassed signing autographs, but he would go out there and he would talk to the little girls and sign their sign his name and sign their pictures. Um, he did have this nasty habit of swallowing garlic tablets and then doing the kiss. I think that was his <laughs> joke. But uh, he was just he was a very he was he was just a real mensch actually. He was a good friend, and um, you know. Rick- Davis, too, just recently, uh, not so long ago, passed away. Yes. Benny Frey, a lot of the little people. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Tom Rusinger. Tom right. and Francine. And Francine. Uh, oh. I remember uh, Tom Rusinger when we were rehearsing. Tom was always gave wonderful dinner parties at his townhouse in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And he was giving a dinner party during the rehearsals, I think it was. And I couldn't go for some reason. So because I couldn't go, he invited my understudy to replace me at his dinner party. Uh. <laughs> I just found that really amusing that I couldn't go, so Don Parrish went. You know, I worked with a lot of the little men, uh, being a, an animal, a, a raccoon, 
and uh, we we sort of I love ended those up with animals. Those, those animals. <laughs> I worked with John Bashful. Bashful was the shortest one, but uh, uh-huh. he he was very what a gentleman. He was a gentleman, and the three raccoons would we'd sit down and talk with him and try to figure out what he was saying, because he's from yeah. England, and he said I talked like a Hampshire hog, and so. <laughs> I, Yes, I say, is that a Hampshire hog? And he says, yep, yep. But he, they were all such troopers, and they John Edward they, Allen. John Edward Allen. He he would come in and say, how you how you doing? How you doing? He just and we would sit and chat and talk and on and on. And we had him for the big scene where we were chasing you, the witch, through the forest, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd line up behind him and run. You know, run this way and run that way and run this way. And it, it was very taxing for, for many of the men to run these long distances. Oh, my gosh, right. And uh, in the dark. <laughs> I knocked him yeah. down more than once. <laughs> my favorite John Edward Allen story was that, uh, you know, he, we, as one of the, uh, the dwarves he wore, the head, and uh, he picked up the, a raccoon head instead of <laughs> his. Hmm. mask and uh, was heading on stage I believe with a raccoon head on well there was that time the the dwarf's cottage got caught and couldn't didn't come out whatever was on the side uh, in the I guess the fly space and they were working frantically but so some of the uh, music was recorded um and so and there was a click track and Don Smith would be conducting it so I think he even had to stop because I think there must have been a musical flourish. And then the as, as the house came out and then it opened up so the audience could go, ah. And <laughs> the animals had just led me to the location of the cottage and it wasn't coming out and it was stuck halfway there. And I just think I remember standing there and going, oh, oh, in that Snow White, oh, that she did often. And then there was that sec- that time during previews. I don't know if if you, Charles and Heidi, remember this, that, Anne Francine almost fell off the lip of the stage because they they right. hadn't raised the oh can anyone the, the orchestra pit they were having the trouble with the orchestra pit was... oh. and she yeah, almost they... and they had to stop the show and who was it Ken yeah. Lonergan went out and said to the audience okay this is what happens with you know previews <laughs> and this is why we have them but man that could have gone south tipping well off Anne was a force to be reckoned with she wasn't was, she oh yes oh she yes was going to do her thing. Yes, and she had a wonderful career after. I mean, she went on to do TV, and which was great for her. She was great. But once she became comfortable with it, we had a good time. And I I wasn't that afraid of her anymore because (laughs) uh, we were able to laugh a little bit and have fun. And, and one thing I have to mention is that I have to thank Michael, who made this wonderful documentary with all of you featured in it called Magic Mirror, the story of Snow White live at Radio City Music Hall. And Michael was gracious enough to arrange this interview and this conversation we're having today, which is so exciting. So thank you to Michael. And he mentioned... Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Yes, Michael. thank you. And he, and he mentioned that I should bring up the reaction of the kids, because I think that plays a, an extreme part, because it's it's basically an interactive show. What is that like to have over, you know, 3,000 children screaming at you, don't eat the apple? You know, that was, I have to say, that was, um, I think, one of my favorite moments of the show every night because it, 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 the wonder of children to be able to 
to suspend belief or disbelief and see it as real, it 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 really meant that the, the magic was working, and that's a really special space to be in. So yeah, when I would hold it up and uh, and say my lines, and they would be saying no, no. Part of me thought, oh kids, I'm sorry, but I'm not going <laughs> to listen to you. But it's all going to be okay because they were just right there along with us, and that was such a such a special, incredible feeling because you were right there with me, Charles. I don't, I don't know how. It yeah, well, I, you. I think you're right, and you know, Michael is a perfect example of that. Uh, as a child who happened to be coming up from Philadelphia because his dad had tickets for Snow White Live at Radio City, and something happened to him when he was a little kid and he saw that scene and he saw the show mm-hmm. and that it, it, uh, it changed his life in a way. And I think it did a lot of people because it's a very familiar story and they were able to tap in on that kind of mass consciousness that we don't want Snow White to eat the apple, even though we know she's going to. And it's, it's like Mary Jo said, it, it is going to be okay. Uh, but you have to eat the apple first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it only was... works if you you got to go with us. you got to eat the apple, and you have to go through that journey. So people really related to the story, uh, and I think they always will. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. The, the emotion coming off the audience, believe me, after dancing for an empty house of 6,000 for years... Yeah. Uh, and you, polite applause, you know, maybe 2,000 people only. But this, the crowds in every single city, Chicago, Washington, New York, they were involved. They, I think they surprised themselves with how much they're involved. And when mm-hmm. you're on the stage uh, as a bit player, a side player, you can't react to what they're doing. You have to stay right in your own center and feeling the, and hearing the screams, don't do it, or... When the little men arrived, they came down the coral side staircase at Radio City. Suddenly they were there and they were walking seemingly out of nowhere down the stairs onto the stage. The screaming for them was it really was heartrending. It, it, you just had to laugh and, and, and cry a little bit because it was so wonderful. It, the audience loved it. And remember when um, Michael King, Dopey, would do that little bit in the mind song with the diamonds Oh, yes. yeah. um, oh my gosh, the kids I was just thinking that. when he would say it at the, at the very end. Oh, that's Yes, he was very athletic, a, a carny uh, by trade, and he could do so many tricks. He could sit down and stand up without using his feet, his hands. He could run into the door and fall backwards. He had so much control over his body, that, and they played it. He did a wonderful job. And there's been so much that has happened since Snow White Live. And Charles, you you have said that you are lucky enough to still be at Radio City Music Hall. Mary Jo and uh, Heidi, what have you guys done since Snow White? Well, I stayed in show business for a while. Um, I was with a show for, uh, um, uh, I guess, about a year and a half touring. And I did some regional productions and some dinner theater, a little bit of soap work, a teeny bit of film work. And then I had a family. 
And so after I had a family, I have two kids. Um, and I, I have to say proudly, my son is at Disney World now. He graduated from college last May, and he is in the entertainment division there. But I have strict instructions that I can't say what he does. I mean, he went to Chicago to a, how funny, he drove to Chicago because he was in college in Ohio. He drove to Chicago to audition for the entertainment um, section of Disney World um, right now. And, and he got it out of Chicago. Right now, he's with the internship program, but hopefully, he's hoping for full-time work when his internship ends. So, I stayed home with my kids. That's pretty much it, really. Uh, well, when Disney closed in Los Angeles, uh, not not quite getting to the Pantages, the dwarves and I uh, went to audition for a movie called Under the Rainbow with Chevy Chase and Carrie Fisher. Now, suddenly, I was too tall to be uh, a dwarf. I always felt myself as so small, but I did become Carrie Fisher's stand-in and stunt double for the movie. That was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, got into all the unions, and I learned a lot about the movie business. Uh, and then ended up in Colorado, you know, on a, on a tour of, of vacation and opened my own dance school. I had that for years, started a family. I have a son and a daughter, both adults now, of course. And my daughter dances in Denver and has uh, her own production company and is uh, doing teaches and performs every day, I think, of the, of the week. My son still lives in Crested Butte, Colorado. Uh, he's a heavy equipment operator. And uh, now I work in the vet business at a veterinarian hospital. Now, I always end my show with three Disney-themed questions I always ask each guest. I call them the Fab Three. So we'll start with the Donald question, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater? Oh, gosh. Um, wow. I love the realness of Snow White. I took my brothers when they were quite young, and they were so afraid. So that's a memory I have of seeing Snow White as a child that it's really scared my brothers. Um, I have to say I liked them all. Mine would have to be Fantasia. Well, I have to agree with Charles. Fantasia definitely was, it's a, it's a sense around kind of movie before that was there. It was just so amazingly well done. But I have to say Sleeping Beauty affected me the most. And our goofy question, what Disney character, besides the ones in Snow White, do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Your mind would be goofy. You know, I'd have to say maybe Woody. I'll go with Bill. And finally, our Mickey question. If I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Bippity-boppity-boo. Oh. When you wish upon a star. Akuna Matata. I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the show. And it's just so wonderful to speak with you all today. And I really want to thank you for your time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tammy. Oh, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Not to tell, we are standing by a 